welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report for a Monday. It is April 30th, and uh, I'm talking to you from Iowa, Iowa City, Iowa. Kevin Smith and I were in Iowa this weekend doing some Hollywood Babylon shows, and uh, if I'm talking a little bit quietly, it's because I am in a hotel room still in Iowa City, Iowa, and it is the wee small hours of the morning, and I got up to put this show together for you because I love you. You know that, right? Um, Anyway, great shows here in Iowa. If you are one of the folks who are with us in either of our two shows in Des Moines or in last night's show here in Iowa City, I know there were some Garmy members out there and some folks who subscribed to the Ralph Report, so... Thanks so much for coming out to the shows. They really, really were a blast. Three really great shows. And uh, the travel can be a hassle. Everybody knows that. Traveling for work isn't always fun. But um, being there in a venue we've never played before and doing the show for folks who have listened for years, who get to see it live for the first time, always a blast. So great weekend. I am going to be leaving here in a little bit, getting ready to pack up and head home to Los Angeles and see my girls. I miss them. It's uh, it's the hardest part about being on the road for me is being away from my family because uh, especially my little one who's at eight, you know, already is growing up so quickly and it's moving way too fast. And so you feel like any time away from her, when you see her again, she's uh, shot up two inches and is a whole different person. So looking forward to getting home. Then here's some good news. I have a little... uh, role in an independent feature film that I'll be shooting this week. Got some great upcoming guests for the Ralph Report that I'll be interviewing. It's going to be a busy week. And then the next week, matter of days, Kevin Smith and I take to the road once again for Hollywood Babylon in Canada. So if you're one of the, uh, if you're a member of the Canadian Garmy and you haven't seen Hollywood Babylon live, here's your chance We're going to be in Calgary and Edmonton and Vancouver, finishing up the week in Vancouver. So we got three shows, all uh, not this coming week, but the next. So if you want tickets for those, still available. I think all the shows, there still have some tickets available. You can go to csmod.com. That's S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. That's the easiest place. It's like a clearinghouse for all of the live events that everybody in Kevin's uh, podcast world does uh, you can get tickets there so love to have some of you canucks come out and see the show speaking of seeing the show here was my uh my weekend basically thursday flew out from la you remember that because i was getting in way late i got in like i don't know it was after midnight um thursday to iowa so i had to pre-record the ralph report for friday then friday Spent all day prepping our two shows in Des Moines, back-to-back. Saturday, I finally had a little time off, and what did I do? I found me a theater, and I went to see The Avengers. And a lot of folks were asking me via Twitter what I thought of the movie. So I wanted to give you a spoiler-free review of the film. Um, Because I know it's still early. It's only been out this weekend. So there's a lot of folks maybe haven't had a chance to see it yet, so I don't want to do spoilers. What I was thinking was giving a spoiler-free free review here and then 
later in the week, maybe as a bonus audio, I will record a spoiler-filled review and talk about the movie in more uh, graphic detail for folks, folks who have already seen it. So here is my spoiler-free review of The Avengers Infinity War. It is, if it's not the best comic book movie ever, it's certainly top three. And I say that for a lot of reasons. I still believe in my heart that Superman, the Richard Donner Superman, is the quintessential best comic book movie ever made. In terms of tone and execution and, and originality, and it sort of set the template for everything that came after it. So that's sort of untouchable, in my opinion. And then, depending on the day of the week and what movie I've just seen, two and three bounce around. But i got to tell you, I think this movie is right up there. And here's why. It is what the Justice League movie wanted to be. It is the culmination of every comic book geek's fantasy of what it would like to see your favorite superheroes up on the big screen. And this collection of characters are characters that we have known and loved for a decade. That's the true miracle of this movie. Not that it's visually brilliant, which it is, and well-written and well-acted, which it is, but it is the culmination of painstaking detail and attention to character development and just doing it the right way to where you earn this victory lap, where you get to put all of your pieces into one big puzzle and say, look at what I've created. And I got to tell you, it pays off in such a big, bad way on so many levels. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, it serves, I don't know, 22, 23, 25, I forget the exact number of how many Marvel superhero characters are combined in this film. It serves these characters so well, and it delivers moments for almost all of them across the board in a way that is organic and feels natural and unforced, and you care, and uh, it makes for a really satisfying movie experience, let alone being a comic book movie. just it's, it's just a good movie. I found that, it, it, you know, you've, you've got to know these characters and care about these characters throughout all these films, that the dynamic between them, it's like watching old friends. And it is so involving and so completely captivating. It's two and a half hours, and it goes by in a blink. I mean, I was ready for more at the end of it, and I'm not a guy who likes long movies. I think usually any movie that's two and a half hours could use a good half an hour edit. But this one, I want it more of, I got to tell you. It, it opens, it throws you right into the storyline at the opening. I'm not going to give anything away, but it, it hits the ground running. And you, and it doesn't stop. It's a breakneck pace from the beginning to the end. And let's talk a little bit about the big bad in this film, and it's not giving anything away that Thanos is a character. The basic premise, for those who aren't too familiar, maybe you're, you're new to the Marvel Universe of films, Thanos is trying to collect these six gemstones that hold various powers into one gauntlet so that he can control reality and, and control the universe for reasons that they get into in the film, which are completely plausible and believable and... And, and, and sometimes make a lot of sense. So you're watching this character 
who's not a, you know, a well-known comic book villain. He's not the Joker or Lex Luthor or even Dr. Doom or Dr. Octopus or any of the, uh, you know, the bigger name superhero bad guys. So Thanos comes in and completely dominates. And he's a computer-generated character. He's CGI. But I got to tell you, and I'm not a fan of CGI, but this is the best CGI character to date, in my opinion, in any film. Not just the quality of the computer graphics, which are outstanding. It's the first time I don't feel like I'm watching an animated cartoon, like a digital cartoon of a person. You know, if you saw Justice League, the Steppenwolf character just seemed like a, a refugee from a bad video game. This is the detail in this character is remarkable. But what really sells it is the performance by Josh Brolin, who's terrific as the voice of Thanos, but also the writing, the motivations behind this character, his dialogue, it's all exceptional. So when you get a good bad guy in one of these movies, it really helps. It really helps things along and carries the film. Because when you think about it, that's the reason the movie exists, right? To take on this bad guy. Then you surround him with all these characters, like I said, the ones that we know and love and the new ones, and they're all interacting together in such entertaining ways. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch, I liked the Doctor Strange movie. I heard from a lot of folks who didn't care for it that much. But he is terrific in this. And to watch him interacting with Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark slash Iron Man is a blast. They're great together. Um, we've got, you know, it's so great to have Spider-Man back in the Marvel mix. Tom Holland, terrific, once again, as Spider-Man. Chris Hemsworth, all the classics, you know, all the OG Avengers. Chris Evans, uh, Robert Downey Jr., as I mentioned. Mark Ruffalo almost steals this movie. He is amazing in this film. Funny, uh, uh, emotional, just outstanding. But all those guys... You know, all the Avengers you know and love have their moments of real brilliance in this film. And then you add into the mix some new characters that you love, like the, char- the, the Guardians of the Galaxy characters all play huge roles in this and are terrific. You've got some of the lesser-known Avengers stepping up to the plate in a big way, Scarlet Witch, Vision, It's amazing that they found a storyline and were able to, in a very natural-feeling, organic way, come up with a storyline that serves all of these characters. Gives them all their shining moments. The Black Panther shows up. I mean, every character in a Marvel movie that you ever loved, you will see represented in a great way in this film. And it is, to Marvel's credit, and I think this has always been the secret to why Marvel films have been better overall, than DC films is that the stakes are very high in this movie. The, you know, it's the fate of the universe. It doesn't get much higher than that. So, you know, when you talk about DC films being grim and gritty, nothing could be more grim than the stakes in this film. But at the heart of it, there is a sense of joy about these characters, about these adventures, about what these characters mean to people. Overall, infused with this sense of joy makes it so much fun to watch. Even though the tension is high, the movie is enormously fun to watch. I don't mean fun like goofy or funny. There are some jokes in it, but it's mostly, you know, a straightforward adventure tale. But there's just such joy and fun in this film. 
that it makes it, uh, man, it makes it a blast. I cannot wait to see it again, truly. Um, it's, there's so much care and attention to detail in this film. It just jumps off the screen. It comes to life. It's like, it, it captures the joy of when you're a kid reading comic books and being able to project all these heroes together and, and see them take on those big bad guys the way we used to when we were kids. And it's just so much fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, like I said, I'm going to go see it again. I think a lot of people will. I think a lot of people saw it multiple times this weekend because, as you know, if you saw the headlines, it is now the number one grossing film of all time in North America for its opening weekend, making over $250 million. So congratulations to Avengers Infinity War. I will say this, again, without trying to be much of a spoiler, uh, the ending of the film does, to me, feel like a little bit too cliffhangery, like a little bit of uh, to-be-continued, because, you know, the Avengers 4 is, I don't know, a couple years out, a year out, um, they, they will pick up this storyline in some way. They have said if it's a direct sequel or whether the uh, events of this film were just influence that film, it, obviously it will be referred to. And the end of the film feels like there is uh, certainly more to come in this story. It's not, it's not, it doesn't feel finite. It doesn't feel like a real true ending at the end of the film. Maybe a slight little complaint, but really slight on my part. Uh, I think only because I felt like I wanted to see more. I wanted to see the resolution of of more of this storyline. That being said, speaking of resolutions and storylines and to be continued, uh, don't miss out on the legendary Marvel bonus scene at the end of the film. Sit through the credits and make sure you stick around for the final film uh, scene because I think you will truly enjoy it. So there you go. That is my brief and hopefully spoiler-free review of Marvel's Avengers Infinity War. As you can tell, uh, I really loved it. In fact, Kevin and I, after the show last night, went back to the hotel and stayed up way too late comparing notes on this film. So it's just vibrating in my head. I'm still thinking about it. Anyway, loved it. And like I said, this week, if I have time, and I think I will, I will be able to uh, pump out a longer, more uh, detailed, spoiler-filled review of, of the movie. And I'll give you my thoughts on individual moments that really stood out to me. Meanwhile, it is a Monday, and the Monday means that I tell you what I learned over the weekend. And traveling, I learned a great many things. Traveling and also watching some television, I picked up on some things. Anyway, here they are, the top five things I learned this weekend. The top five things I learned this weekend. Number five. Number five struck me as I was sitting in the theater watching or getting ready to watch The Avengers. When did we become so complacent about movie theaters showing us commercials before the movies? And I'm not talking about trailers. That's been a long-standing tradition of movie going, is you get there early to watch the trailers because you want to know what movies are going to come to that theater near you. But commercials, it's just getting goddamn ridiculous in terms of the commercials that they show in a movie theater before the movie. And here's my premise. Movies aren't cheap. You're spending now 15, 17, I don't know what you're spending for a ticket in a movie theater, depending on where you go. And I think that that buys you a certain amount of protection from further commercialism. You've paid for your enjoyment. You've paid for your product. 
I think you should get it. You get what you paid for. And in no other form of, of adver- advertising media does this happen. You know, you have, you have network television, and that's free, and so you have to sit through commercials, or you DVR it and you fast-forward through them. But regardless, that's, that's commercial television. That's the model, is advertising pays for those programs, so that's the price you pay for watching free television. But if you, were on, if you had HBO and you're paying a subscription to HBO... And while you're watching Westworld, they're running commercials during it. Wouldn't that infuriate you? I mean, you pay three, five, ten, twenty dollars, whatever you pay to to listen to the Ralph Report. I wouldn't dream of putting commercials in the Ralph Report and then charging you a subscription fee. You're paying for the product. You should get it uninterrupted, un unfettered with commercials. I mean, that's the way it works. If you pay for something, you don't have to sit through the commercials. So if I'm paying a movie ticket price, why am I sitting there watching? Commercials for Geico Insurance and Coca-Cola and the Ford Edge and for sneakers and clothing. This is, why did we, why did we all roll over and just accept this? Is it because it's the only game in town and the movie theaters have a monopoly and there's nothing we can do about it? I remember there briefly being some murmurs of being disgruntled when it first started to happen, but it seems like we all just bent over and just accepted it. It really pissed me off as I was sitting there because they're, they're packing more and more in. I must have seen... I'm not lying to you. Ten commercials before we even got to the trailers. It was a half an hour of pregame before the movie even started. And if you're watching a two and a half hour movie, that ad, that that's your whole day is shot. Anyway, it just pissed me off. Number four. And while we're speaking of commercials, man, there's a new commercial out now that has to be the most annoying commercial on television in a long time. I am no Reese Witherspoon fan. But I think even the biggest Reese Witherspoon lover would have a hard time stomach, stomaching this commercial. Have you seen this one? She's doing a commercial for Crate and Barrel, I think it is, the furniture store. And her and her goddamn poof. Listen to her voice. Nothing has ever been more annoying than Reese Witherspoon talking about her poof. Personally, I like a home that can go with any kind of flow. That's why I like this little guy. It's called a poof. What's a poof, you ask? Well, the better question is, what isn't it? Casual seating? Poof. Adorable side table? Poof. A cozy spot for a tuckered puppy? Poof. A cozy spot for your tuckered puppies? Poof. Oh my God, she needs to stop saying the word poof. Never again. Who do we talk to? We gotta get this pulled off the air. That's number four. Number three. I learned over the weekend that Larry Harvey passed away. Larry Harvey, if you don't recognize the name, is the guy who co-created the Burning Man Festival in Black Rock Desert. And I think it was in the mid-80s he created this with some friends. It started off with like 12 people. Then it got to be a couple hundred. Now they say 60,000 people show up in the desert every summer to celebrate this Burning Man Festival. And I have to give this guy so much credit because he tapped into the weird. If you can tap into the weird, you can make a pretty good life for yourself. Because I think there's so many nut jobs out there. I mean that in a, in a positive way. Nut job in like an endearing way. People who are outside the norm, a little quirky, like the, the weird stuff. And look, Burning Man has become a thing like so many other festivals that started off with the best of intentions, became 
a scene and a place to be seen and it's the Coachellas and the now the Burning Mans and that kind of stuff that kind of ruin it for the hardcore uh, weirdos who really sort of benefited from it. But there would be this giant city in the desert every year filled with lunatics who would be naked and dancing around and doing performance art and stuff. And it's just, it was the world of the weird. They got to be their truest, weirdest self once a year. And he created that. He tapped into that. I would never want to go. In a million years, you couldn't get me to go to Burning Man. Because I don't like the sun. I don't like the heat. I don't like the desert. I don't particularly like smelly hippies or patchouli or that whole scene. It's not for me, but I can respect it from a distance that he had something going on there. Anyway, he died uh, from a stroke uh, earlier this this month. He had a stroke, and apparently he just passed away. And so I uh, tip my hat to Larry Harvey. And by the way, this guy has to be cremated, right? Never in the history of man has there been a guy who needs to be cremated as a way of burial more than the guy who invented Burning Man, right? Number two. You know, you pick up on a lot of things when you're traveling. And number two uh, certainly is for me. Every time I go to a hotel, they have these irons. And I, I like to iron my dress shirt before I go on stage when I do a show. So I'm always pulling out the iron, and I set it up, and I, I warm it up, and put a little water in there, get a little steam going. My, my iron is ready to go. I like ironing. It's, it's a nice, uh, soothing activity for me. It's very zen-like. I like to iron. I don't know why, but I get off on it. So I like to iron my shirt just so, and I do my thing. And then I'm done, and I uh, unplug the iron, and you let it cool down so you don't burn down the hotel. And then it comes time to hit the button on the retractable cord on the iron. Have you ever once had a retractable cord on an iron that actually retracted? It's a, it's a goddamn Rubik's Cube to try to get that cord back into that iron. Why can't they make one that works? You want to be a millionaire? Make a retractable cord on a clothing iron that actually retracts the cord into the iron. I have, I've traveled the world over. I've never once hit that button and had the cord go all the way into the iron. It usually leaves about a foot and a half that I'm jamming in like an asshole trying to get the cord back in the iron. Somebody fix that problem. There's a space station orbiting our planet right now. Someone could figure out how to make a fucking iron where the cord actually fully retracts. Number one. And number one also has to do with traveling. In fact, it is traveling. The more that, uh, you know, since I lost my job at, at the radio station, I've had more time and more ability to be able to travel around more with Hollywood Babylon and Kevin Smith and do the show on the road. And I realize, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of traveling. Like, my wife loves to go places on vacation. She wants to always go, take a plane and go far. And For me, that's just added stress and work. And, and I would rather spend my vacation time at home or someplace that's a short drive away from my house so I can just focus on the relaxation and not have to deal with the stress of travel. So I'm, I'm, I will say I'm not a great traveler. But the more I do it, the more I recognize how important it is. Not just because of the stuff you get to see, because of the perspective it gives you about your own life. You know, I grew up a city kid my whole life. I spent half my life in Philadelphia and the other half in Los Angeles. Not a lot of room uh, in between those two places to see how the other half lives in terms of the majority of America and hell, Europe and other countries for that matter. But when you get out of your comfort zone, 
you get to see people and meet people and just, you don't even have to meet them. You can just observe the way of life and recognize how different it is from yours, but how completely valid and fulfilling it is on many levels. Not saying it would be for you. Like, I'm not moving to Iowa, but I looked at the people of Iowa and how they live their lives, and I got to say there's something attractive about it. Uh, Traffic is very slow here in Iowa. Nobody really seems to be in a hurry to get any place. Very unlike anything I've ever experienced. Um, I was driving in Des Moines, and I was going over this large city bridge that, that goes over the Des Moines River. And I saw a group of people who had pulled over to the side of the bridge, and they were over by the railing, and I immediately thought, is someone jumping? Did someone jump? And they're looking. They're looking over the side, and as I slowed I realized that they had pulled over to get out their fishing rods to fish off this large city bridge into the city river below. And I said, that's not something you'd see in Philadelphia, people fishing in the Schuylkill River off a bridge or the L.A. River in Los Angeles. It was, it was eye-opening for me. That's just a different kind of life in Iowa and all over the United States. If you're an American and you can afford it, if you can do it, I think you should travel to whatever part of the country your people aren't. You know, if you're a country person, you should definitely get into the city. If you're a city person, you should definitely get into the country or or more rural cities that have a a different way of life. It really uh, creates a sense of understanding and I think a, a sense of empathy with your fellow Americans that it, right now, going through what we're all going through, we probably could use a little bit more of. And I'm not saying, you know, no, no light went off where I thought, you know, kumbaya and we're all brothers and sisters. And there's still major uh, disconnects between certain people who live in certain places of this country. And I get that. But I think being there is a real step in the right direction versus reading about it or reading social media or reading news. When you're there and you're in the middle of it, it gives you a different kind of perspective. So I was really grateful I had that this weekend. So that's number one for me. Get out in the world. Take a look around. See what, see what else is out there. And you might be surprised. And those are the top five things that I learned this weekend. The top five things I learned this weekend. And now it's time to kick things off this Monday morning with a look at all the entertainment news. As I mentioned, Avengers Infinity War took North America by storm, opening with $250 million this weekend. That's crazy. Finally surpassing Star Wars, The Force Awakens for the biggest domestic opening weekend of all time. Now you have to keep in mind, that's just in North America. It opened worldwide with $630 million this weekend, making it the highest global opening weekend of all time as well, even without the China debut. So it's going to hit China this weekend, adding even more money. So congratulations. Let's take a look at the rest of the top 10 movies at the box office. A Quiet Place came in at number two with $10.6 million. It's crazy when you look at number one at $250 million. And number two has made, oh, a little over $10 million. Number three, I Feel Pretty. The Amy Schumer movie made a little over $8 million. Rampage came in at number four with $7 million. Black Panther back in the top ten at number five. A lot of people wanted to check out Black Panther before Avengers, I get the sense. $4.3 million made at number five. Super Troopers 2 came in at number six. Then Truth or Dare, Blockers, Ready Player One, and Traffic rounding out the top ten at the box office. 
Speaking of Amy Schumer, she's been hospitalized this week with a kidney infection. She posted on Instagram a photo of her in the hospital bed um, because she felt bad. She was supposed to go to London for the opening of her movie, I Feel Pretty There, and her doctor said she couldn't go, so she stayed home to take care of her health rather than travel. And really, look, if you're going up against the Avengers, why bother promoting a movie? Just stay in bed, stay in the hospital, feel better, Amy, because it's no point. You're wasting your time. Another big winner this weekend with The Simpsons. Last night, The Simpsons became the longest-running scripted show in primetime television history when it aired its record-breaking 636th episode. That is just one more than Gunsmoke, the CBS Western drama for many, many years with Marshall Matt Dillon. started on radio in 1952, and then it became a TV series that ran for 635 episodes from 1955 to 1975, and uh, The Simpsons finally beat that record. They are the number one longest-running show on television. Oh, we're the best. And now let's take a look at the celebrity birthdays. All these stars born on this day, April 30th. Cloris Leachman, terrific actress, has been around forever. From the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Damn, she was in Butch Casting the Sundance Kid. She was in The Last Picture Show. I mean, a great movie actress, even before she made it on television with her character of Phyllis, 92 years old today. Willie Nelson is 85. Actor Burt Young, probably best known for playing Polly, right? Against Sylvester Stallone's Rocky in the Rocky movies, 78 years old. Adrian Pazdar from Heroes, but most recently from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He is 55 years old today. Johnny Galecki from The Big Bang Theory, of course, and from back in the day, Roseanne, although he was just on an episode recently. He is 43 years old today. Kirsten Dunst celebrates her 36th birthday today. And actress Diana Agron from Glee. She was the uh, hot cheerleader Quinn on that show, 32 years old today. I'm Ralph Garman, and I walk the showbiz beat. Since we're talking about comic book movies and superhero movies, there's another comic book movie that I'm looking forward to seeing called Deadpool 2 that's out soon. And I have a vested interest in this as well because the guys who wrote that film, wrote Deadpool and Deadpool 2, are friends of mine. They created a TV show some 15 years ago now that people still come up to me to this day and talk to me about. Last night, after the show here in Iowa City, someone came up to me and talked about the Joe Schmo show. And a lot of people say we'd love to hear the behind-the-scenes story about that show. One of those people was Colin Hanks when I had him on the show to interview him. He said, you guys should really talk about what went on in, in making that show. So anyway, I thought that was a great idea. And I was finally be able to get those guys to sit down long enough to talk to me. They're, as you can imagine, very busy with the lead-up of Deadpool 2 right around the corner. But we did sit down and have a chance to talk about the history of the Joe Schmo show. Uh, Joe Schmo 1, Joe Schmo 2, a little bit about Schmo 3. They were on board. They were, gave us our blessings, but they weren't directly involved. But this is the oral history of a show that is something that, one of the things I'm certainly most proud of, the Joe Schmo Show with its creators, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. 2018 is the 15th anniversary of a television show that changed my life. And it's still to this day one of the things that people ask me about the most when I'm out and about. It's called the Joe Schmo Show. And today and for the rest of the week, we're going to do a, uh, a retrospective on the history and the making of that show. And I'm hoping to find out some things that even I don't know. And I want to thank my friend Colin Hanks who suggested this. When I interviewed Colin for this show, he's a huge Joe Schmo fan. And he said, have you guys ever sat down and done like an oral history of that show? 
And I said, no, you know what? We haven't. And I think it's time. And that's why I'm here with the two evil geniuses who created that show, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Hi, boys. Hi, Hello, Ralph. <laughs> a real pleasure to be 15 here. 15 years. I just, 15 oh, man, years a shudder ago. went through me as I heard that. It was 2003 number. when the original Joe Schmo first hit the airwaves with Spike TV, rest in peace. Yes. The year my son was born, I always date my son by... Uh, well, that didn't come out right, actually. <laughs> Don't date your son. No, that's never a good idea. <laughs> no, things took a turn you, you very early. Yes. Let platonic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's got weird. Things got weird here. Uh, a lot of ground to cover. Let's get right into it. How did the whole idea come up for this show, and when? Do you remember how long it was before we even started working on it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was 2001. Am I wrong? 2000, 2001 2001-ish. Uh, we uh, took very different paths uh, getting to Joe Schmo. Uh, I was a feature screenwriter and was writing movies, children's movies mostly. And I was a local news producer, uh, in, lastly in Los Angeles at KCAL. And I jumped out of local news into reality TV. I got burned out on local news. Um, and uh, the producer of Big Brother, uh, Arnold Shapiro, was doing a uh documentary on sweeps uh in local news and we connected through that and then he made the transition to big brother and brought me over to big brother and it was big brother 2 so and you had worked in reality television at this point yes i was i was brand new to reality tv it was kind of in the wild wild west of reality tv early 2000 uh and um and it was the season Big was Brother 2. Big Brother 2. It was with my Boogie and Doctor, the Evil Doctor. And uh, it, was, it, it was a great, great season of television. I'm, I am not ashamed to say. Like, it was really, really good. And Paul got me hooked on it. Yeah, so, we were... We were, were you guys uh, friends at this point? Yes. We, we went to, to high, high school, school together in oh, Phoenix. Okay. And, and so I got Red hooked on Big Brother. And we were watching it one night. I... Uh, it was what an Olympic Paul had me over and when we were watching it at his house with his wife uh, and he looked at me and he's like you know we ought to come up with an idea for a reality show sometime and that night we came up with the idea for Joe Schmo and I think it was more than anything the result of our two distinct backgrounds Paul was working in reality I was working in scripted and I said to Paul I said I don't know if I could just get into doing a straight reality show it'd have to have some scripted element so we like to say, you know, his chocolate meant my peanut butter. <laughs> and next thing you know, uh, that night we had the idea for Joe Schmo. The perfect blend of fiction and reality exactly. on television. Exactly. And and it took us a long time to sell it. We were kind of hip hop. Although not really. If, it, if we were on the air in 2003. No, no. By, yeah, by Hollywood know, by a lot standards. Of standards yeah. That moved along pretty quickly. But, but by our standards at the time, we spent about, I'd say, nine or ten months trying to sell it. And we were hip pocketed at, at Endeavor at the time, the agency. And so the meetings were, they came in a trickle. We, we were we were pitching people we probably- We beg, beg for meetings. Once every two or three weeks, we'd get in a room with somebody and we'd pitch. And they were laughing. And at these rooms, they would laugh and laugh and laugh. We had one executive who was literally crying. She was Holly laughing Holly Jacobs, so remember? Yeah, Holly Jacobs, Holly Jacobs crying. I don't know, remember where she was. But. And and yet, it would always come back, no, at the end. And I think that had something to do with the, the high risk of the show. And then I think it also had something to do with the fact that we were just two guys. I mean, it was like very you know. inexperienced. And, and our agent, frankly, at the time, 
said, this is not how you sell a show. Paul, you need to spend a few more years working your way up the reality TV ladder until you get the kind of credibility that's necessary to sell a show. Red, you should keep writing screenplays. And, and you should just leave me alone. Yeah, just leave. <laughs> yeah. Please stop, stop calling me. me anymore. Stop, stop wasting my time. And Paul, to his great credit, likes to break rules and doesn't like to take no for an answer and just kept saying, no, please put us in one more room, one more room. And, and you would think if the idea is as good as this one was, but if any good idea in any room should be able to sell, it right? It should, Regardless. in theory. But I do think you're also buying not just the idea, you're buying the people, the people. behind it, yeah. And and so there was a trust factor there that we just didn't have. We'd never made anything, really. Uh, but you can always get the people to make yeah. the thing. You and know? that's exactly the what The idea is we the did. hard part. Yeah. Right. So finally, we pitched Palin Chow at TNN, which was then the national network, Uh and the Nashville network. The, right? I think, no, I think it, was, it was the national network. That was the national. I don't yeah. even know. It was. Believe I it or thought not. it was the Nashville network. I thought it was like a country, uh, country western. It might have been. I, maybe, I don't maybe even maybe know. I, well, we yeah. should go back and, and look. Yeah, and not as though anyone research. cares at this point. But like <laughs> yeah. that is so beyond caring. We but. lost them after I'm dating my son. I think we lost all the audience. <laughs> but we pitched Palin Chow, and she bought it over the phone. She called us the next. We pitched over the phone. She was in New York. She bought it the next morning. We were just about to head into the agency to try to line up the next pitch because we yeah. were sure. And lo and behold, we sold it. And we went up there and we were like the kings of the of the castle. We strutted in there like we were. And our agent looked at us like, so? So you sold a show and now you got to go. They're never going to make it. They're never like, going to make it. Like he, he was not... He didn't react with the appropriate enthusiasm, but we were undeterred. And so, and then, you know, obviously we made our deal with Spike and then we made our deal with Stone Stanley and we started to break the show. We got a couple of great writers and we started to break the show. And, and then, while we were breaking the show, I was, I For those off. who don't know what break the show means, real quick definition. Yeah, we, we put up uh, scene cards up on a wall. We had 10 episodes full of scene cards and we, and we wrote the whole show. When I say wrote, we plotted it. Um, plotted we out the figured out the what was going, going to happen, happen, who were the characters, what were the immunity challenges, the eviction ceremonies. We should probably say, for those who don't know, just what the concept is. So the Joe Schmo Show is essentially the Truman Show in a reality setting. So imagine a guy comes on a reality show to live in a house with nine other contestants, and and uh, they compete in immunity challenges, vote each other off. It's an elimination-style show. And at the very end, someone wins $100,000. Well, that show existed, except what the one guy who came onto the show didn't know was that everybody else on the show, including the host, Ralph, was an actor and was performing a parody of reality TV where sort of everything was turned to 11. The volume was turned to 11 and all the plots uh, were sort of reflective of things that had happened on actual reality shows and all the characters were reflective of the stereotypes we'd come to know and love. All written, uh, all except kind of written. with this Ex X factor, the, the one character who was real, who we didn't know how he would react to the to the storylines in the situation. And then right? also entirely dependent on these, uh, on these actors' ability to go into a house 12 hours a day and improvise, you know, loosely scripted scenes or loosely uh, beat out scenes uh, in front of this real person. Yeah, so the, the that plot was, the was scripted, but all the dialogue, all right. the things that came out yeah. of the Everything characters' mouths was, was all just improvised. Up, up to the actors. And we had, you know, brilliant, we brilliant improv actors, Ralph being the, among the best of them. Um, and really, we came to you, interestingly, because you... 
you were essentially the one piece we never auditioned, didn't know much about. And Stone Stanley said, this is our guy. Trust us. It yeah, was the I, man show, the relationship from the man show, right? Well, what had happened was Sharon Levy there at Stone Stanley. Yes. And also David and Scott um, had known my work because they had worked with Jimmy and Adam on the man show. You're right. And they had those guys had come from the morning radio show, the Kevin and Bean show that I was working on. So everyone at, over there was well familiar with that radio show. And because they were fans of the show, they were fans of my work. So at that point, I had been on the show only for a couple of years, maybe three, three or four. And at the time, and it happens a lot in radio. If you're a radio personality, you get offered a lot of hosting gigs for game shows and things like that. A lot of seacresting, as I call it. <laughs> and um, I had been going out for a ton of that stuff. And I remember getting a phone call. It might even been at the radio station from someone at Stone Stanley saying, we'd love to talk to you about uh, hosting a thing. And I gave the big eye roll and I almost didn't go in. Whoa. And... Um, and I said, you know, I'm not really, a, I don't want to be one of the cue card reading guys. It's just not what I do. It's not my skill set. And, and I appreciate the offer. And they said, no, this is something completely different, but we can only tell you in the room. We can't, we can't it's a secret thing <laughs> oh, that we can only so say in the room. About it. Yeah, we were always very secretive. So that actually piqued my interest. And when I went in there and basically they explained it, that it's, you're going to be doing a live improvised play for one person in real time and where it's going to be a parody of reality television and you get to parody Seacrest and Chris Harrison and yes. Jeff Probst and yes. all those guys, you get to do your version of that. And that's what hooked me was the yeah. ability to not only spoof those guys, but that genre and then put on top of it the added excitement slash pressure of doing a play for one guy where if you screw it up, the whole house of cards falls down. That yeah. was a remarkably Absolutely. clever concept. And we felt like you were kind of a gift from God because you dropped in our laps. We we didn't know you too well. And and suddenly we've got this guy who not only is the best host in the business and could do it straight, but also is the so funniest guy around and, and a phenomenal improviser, which we were really putting these improvisers through their paces in, yeah. in, in these auditions. I still talk to many of the cast members from all three seasons, and they still say to this day, it was the hardest job they ever had. Best yeah. job, but hardest job yeah. they ever had. Because you guys were putting them on like 24-7, yeah. you know, know a, a, a level of stress and a demand of really high quality work that people forgot when we turned the cameras off, they were still living in the house with yeah. these people and they had to keep those characters up. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, think about that. You have to sell a performance. You have to get into character for days upon days. You have to sell a performance to somebody who's three feet away from you. If one, if you make one mistake, the whole show could come tumbling down and, and, oh, oh, by the way, be funny, like, yeah, right. be really funny and yet not too funny because then he might sniff that you're not, you're not who you say you are. Yeah. It really was a high wire act. That was, that was amazing that, that you pulled it off, that we pulled it off. Rhett and Paul, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be talking more about the Joe Schmo show, uh, leading us into the second season, of course, with uh, me and my Falcon. <laughs> Uh, so you're not going to want to miss that tomorrow. Come on back. Speaking of missing the show, if you are listening to this show for free, you know, we've been putting Mondays out there for folks to listen to. It's sort of like a, a free sample to see if people would like to join us. Um, this will be the last Monday. That's for free. If you want to keep hearing the show, you are, of course, invited to go to patreon.com slash the Ralph Report and subscribe and hear the show every day, Monday through Friday. Hear all the stuff we do here on the Ralph Report. But uh, the free for the time being, the free Mondays 
that's going to stop. So if you've been enjoying the show on Mondays, why don't you go over and go to patreon.com and subscribe and listen to the show every day. Meanwhile, tomorrow, I will be back in Los Angeles with a brand new show for a Tuesday. I'm looking forward to talking to you then because I love you. I mean it. Bye. Bye.